Are leftist organizations like Black Lives Matter and Antifa attacking Asian Americans to deflect the blame onto white supremacists, similar to what they did with the so-called deadly insurrection at the Capitol with all of these leftists from Black Lives Matter and Antifa pretending to be MAGA protesters so that they could storm the Capitol? Well, we'll find out on The Adrian Slade Show. The presidential motorcade has just passed through heavy crowds in downtown Dallas and was circling through the fringes of the business district when two shots suddenly rang out. Destroying the media lies and dismantling the narratives. One story at a time. It's the Adrian Slade Show. David Beard, writer, executive editor, newsletterer from Nat Geo, also an alumni from the Washington Post, Associated Press, Boston Globe. He goes by he, him, and he loves uplifting stories. Well, he has a really uplifting story, story being the underlining word here. His tweet, one woman is 85, 165. Both are Asian American. Both were stabbed by a white man. Hashtag stop AAPI hate. Uh-oh, update from David Beard. Suspect arrested in attack on two Asian women in San Francisco. The women, 84 and 63, are recovering from their injuries. Update on suspected assailant to come. And then we get the update. It was a black man. Now, the reason why I want to bring this up is because the media has started in on this anti-Asian violence narrative. This is the narrative that they've been putting out where they are saying that there is a rise in violence against Asian people, Asian Americans. But yet every single one of them seems to have been in an altercation or an attack by an African-American or actually a black person because they don't all come from Africa. But suddenly after that was reported, all of the incidents that you would hear about with Asians being attacked all over New York, all over the country, dissipate. Just gone. Poof. Wonder why that is. I'm starting to think that there's more to it. I'm starting to think that there is a push to vilify white supremacist or supposed white supremacist by creating a narrative of increased heightened attacks on Asians by maybe by Antifa, maybe by Black Lives Matter, but in turn trying to spin the reporting as being attacks by white supremacists. And that narrative is going to get popped when we talk about the Proud Boys and, you know, the QAnon Oath Keeper, Proud Boy, whatever, uh, white supremacists, when we find out how they're sticking up for the Asian community, you know, run by a Cuban, uh, a Cuban American, we're going to learn how all these narratives are being deflated as soon as they're being propagated by the left here in just a moment. So let's set the stage. Let's set the table with a Politico article. You're Asian, right? Why are you even here? What I learned when I was attacked and spared because of my race at a Black Lives Matter protest. This by Aaron Mack. He is a writer in New Haven, Connecticut, and a former Politico intern from Milwaukee. I knew the protest was going to spiral into something bigger when I saw a man in tears push a police officer. 
I had never seen anyone lay a hand on a cop, even amicably. But these people gathered now in the streets were utterly out of patience. I wasn't sure whether I would be caught in the crossfire. Then a community activist I had earlier asked to interview spotted me and called me over. Quote, I can see from your face that you don't think you're safe, he told me. He was black. I'm Chinese American. You are. You are a minority too. So he gets a little affirmation there from the black guy. It was just the reassurance I was looking for. It would also turn out to be wrong. It had all started earlier that day around 3.30 on Saturday, August 13th, when Milwaukee police officers pulled over two black men in the city's predominantly African-American Sherman Park neighborhood. The men fled on foot with the officers running after them. Officer Dominique Hagen caught up with one of the men. Slysville Smith, he was armed. After a confrontation, the details of which are still unclear, the officer shot and killed Smith. Outrage at Smith's death surged over social media, and hundreds of people came out to protest on the street where he was killed, which seems to happen instantaneously and can happen in multiple cities at the drop of a dime. But we're not going to get into that. That's what I call the decentralization of the Antifa movement and Slack channels and Telegram apps and different communication devices and DM groups and Twitter can mobilize these people at the drop of a hat. But anyways, it was the latest in a string of often dubious police shootings in the city. I was sent to go report on the scene as an intern for the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel, my last assignment for the summer. Shortly after I had arrived, I saw the beginnings of a shoving match between a line of policemen in riot gear and the distraught residents of the neighborhood. I was the only non-black person at the time. The other news crews had left, and my presence was soon questioned. Soon, some pointed me out as an interloper. Others, like the reassuring activist, told me I would be fine. I brushed off the more hostile comments as much as I could. They were angry. And anger doesn't always hit its intended target. So he talks about how he was scuffled up in in the riots of throwing bricks and burning of buildings and people that had chased him. But what I thought was really uh, interesting, he got beaten by a group of people to where somebody out of the blue said, stop, he's not white, he's Asian. And they kind of let up on him. They said, look, don't mess with the Chinese dudes. His attackers had run off. And uh, he was escorted to safety. But what I thought was interesting was how he basically takes responsibility for an act from an Asian officer against a black guy. So uh, he goes on to say relations between Asian Americans and African Americans were thrust into the spotlight in a case of Chinese American police officer Peter Lang. In 2014, Lang uh, killed. Akai Gurley, a black man who was unarmed in New York by firing a bullet into a dark stairwell that ricocheted off a wall and hit Gurley in the heart. Lang was ultimately found guilty of criminally neglect homicide and official misconduct and now must complete 800 hours of community service and serve five years probation. Last Tuesday, Gurley's family reached a settlement with the city of New York for $4.1 million and with Lang for 25000 Among Asian Americans, the reaction to the case was split. Thousands in cities around the country came to Lang's defense with marches and money, arguing that Lang had been unfairly singled out. 
Many white police officers, they pointed out, hadn't been charged after killing black men in similar circumstances. Others in the Asian American community rallied for Gurley, asserting that it was important to stand in solidarity with Black Lives Matter and that all police officers need to be held accountable for violence against African Americans. So that's supposedly the beginning of the rift between the black community and the Asian community because some Asian American police officer shot and killed a black guy, which I don't know about you. That's the first I've ever been aware of that incident in the news. But basically what's been happening is Asian Americans have been getting attacked all over the place. And for a while, the news media decided it was a good idea to bolster this so that they could equivocate. Rather, first, they can build a victim group. They can build a minority group that has been victimized by the system, attacked by police officers, attacked by this evil system that needs to be defunded. And then they can then take their group and equivocate it with the black community that's already being co-opted and victimized by Black Lives Matter and being exploited by Al Sharpton and Jesse Jackson, who magically reappeared, while the members of Black Lives Matter, as we reported on the last podcast, and even one before that, you know, they're buying multiple houses, getting vacation villages down in the Bahamas. You know, they've got airplane hangers, and they might even buy new suits and what have you with the money that they raised off of Facebook for Black Lives Mattering or something like that. So it's all a big grift. It's all, you know, they're all members of the Freedom Road Socialist Organization, and that organization has a history in Marxism, and none of it has anything to do with racial justice. It all has any, everything to do with Marxism and communism, because like the last podcast showed, everything is communism, all roads be, lead back to a communist end, and that's where you have to put your mindset to understand that this is a slow march to communism in every angle possible. This is why you have Coca-Cola back in diversity. This is why you have critical race theory programs being shoved into your curriculum and being rejected, thank goodness, by school boards across the country. Because the rejection's coming. You can only manipulate your voting rolls so much before they get audited like they are being audited in Arizona to be shown that it's all fraudulent. The pushback is coming. We're just not getting it right now because we are being assaulted with a barrage of garbage, a barrage of fake election results, a barrage of fake mandates, a barrage of pushing of different undermining curriculum to your kid's school, whatever the case may be. And we're also getting barraged with multiple narratives that don't exist. And the Asian violence by QAnon, Oath Keeper, Proud Boy, whatever's isn't happening. There is no white supremacy movement against Asians, just as there is no white supremacy movement against blacks. But the media is out there saying every single day that white supremacy exist on global levels and critical levels, dangerous levels, and that it's the biggest thing since sliced bread. It needs to be put down bigger than ISIS, bigger than Al-Qaeda, bigger than uh, Boko Haram, bigger than Black Lives Matter and Antifa, because Antifa is just an idea, by the way. Um, but 
we're starting to learn that these narratives are complete garbage. And it's really interesting when you find out that um, some of these Black Lives Matter people are involved with this violence. From the New York Post, Black Lives Matter activists from Seattle charged with anti-Asian hate crime. A Black Lives Matter activist from Seattle has been arrested for an alleged anti-Asian hate crime. Christopher Hamer, 51, who is black, charged with allegedly attacking three Asian-American women in two separate incidents last month, according to KIRO7. In the first incident, March 16th, Hamer uh, uh, allegedly shouted Asian B-word at a Chinese-American mom who was driving with her two children before punching his fist together in a menacing motion and demanding that she get out of the car. The mother, Pamela Cole, said she snapped photos of Hamer and then rode off. The moment he made eye contact with me, he stopped, opened his doors, and he screamed, F you, you Asian B-F you. And I was in complete shock. Are you talking to me? She said. He jumps out of the car and charges at us. That was the scariest part for me. According to a Facebook post identified by Post Millennial, Hamer also uh, posted photos of himself at Black Lives Matter protest last summer, recorded videos from Seattle's notorious CHOP protest zone in the Chaz. On March 18th, following the Atlanta spa shooting that killed six Asian women, which that's where they really wanted to, you know, ignite the genesis of Asian violence when we found out it was some weird sexual fetish with this guy and not all the women were Asian. Um, He decried the racial hate crimes on his page, but the very next day he's accused of cutting off two other Asian women while driving again and shouting similar remarks at the earlier altercation. He allegedly then charged at the women and threw plastic objects at their car, but the driver's car was equipped with a dashboard camera and allegedly uh, ID'd the gentleman who attacked him. He was charged with one hate crime for the two incidents, pleaded not guilty, and uh, in his arraignment, his judge set bail at $10,000. But this is just showing that the narrative is complete and utter garbage. But what's really interesting is the fact that the Asian American community, they got a new uh, a new ally. Proud Boys reportedly getting huge Asian American support due to Black Lives Matter Antifa fears. The right wing Proud Boys are getting a huge wave of support from Asian Americans who fear Antifa and Black Lives Matter and want to bring who want to bring communist rule to the U.S. According to a new investigation, this is from the New York Post. Recent fundraising efforts for the Proud Boys saw as many as 80 percent of the donations coming from people with Chinese surnames. According to a review of leaked information obtained by USA Today, the data, as well as a series of experts and supporters, show significant support spe- uh, specifically from Chinese American community, as well as expats in China, Hong Kong, and Taiwan. We're not allowed to talk about Taiwan thanks to Chinese propaganda in American news. And Hong Kong was this crazy protest. But yet they're all supporting. The Proud Boys. Quote, you have to understand how we feel. We came from communist China, and we managed to come here, and we appreciate it here so much. Rebecca Kwan, who recently donated $500 to the group, told the paper. Her support came specifically because the Proud Boys are fighting Antifa, she said. 
And can you see anything good that Antifa did except destroy department stores and small businesses? Others expressed alarm at the extreme left-wing ideology of Black Lives Matter, which co-founder Patrice Cullors has said formed the ideological framework behind the Black Liberation Movement. Now, of course, Patrice Cullors has the four houses, and one of the houses has an airplane hanger, because that's how you roll when you're running a activist nonprofit organization. You get to become a Marxist who gets to get all kinds of uh, capitalist perks. It's kind of like Barack Obama, you know, goes into office, has no business background, has not that much money, comes out a multimillionaire, buys a house in Hilton Head, or it was in Martha's Vineyard, while he decries ocean sea levels rising as his house, his expensive home, his abode is sitting right there on the shoreline, ready to be engulfed by the rising waters of climate change. But this is what we deal with. It's all fallacy. It's all BS. And one of the things we have to realize is this movement, you can see by the people who actually lived through communism, whether it's Enrique, what's his name, Torres from... Uh, the Proud Boys, the Cuban-American who came first-generation Cuban-American, his family fled Cuba. You can see the Chinese uh, expatriates who are supporting the Proud Boys. You can see those who have been brought up in communist regimes. Who are the people they basically call out right off the top? Antifa, Black Lives Matter, and anyone associated with the Democrat Party currently, because the Democrat Party is nothing but a communist regime at this point. And this is something you have to take notice of. The media is going to lie and say that it's all conspiracy theory, that uh, QAnon is domestic terrorism, and they're white supremacist, and it's on the rise, and we need to squash it. In fact, we're going to get into how Joe Biden is using outside agencies, different organizations, not within the government purview to spy on extremist groups. That's amazing. We'll see where that goes. But And they're still abusing the FISA court to spy on dissidents. This is America we're talking about. But notice how everybody who has fled a communist country is pointing to the actual communist, like we are, while the news media is pretending Antifa's just an idea, Black Lives Matter is only about you know justice for black people, even though it's a Marxist group, and uh, that the communist uh, within the Democrat Party doesn't exist, that they're just you know a progressive party that wants to push for bigger government, and uh, there's nothing wrong with the fact that. You know, they're the party of the workers while they're actually the party of the CEOs who are woke CEOs pushing all of these Marxist groups. Back in a moment. This is Adrian Slade. So while we watch Asian Americans just get beaten left and right, typically by African Americans for some reason, and I have a good idea that it could be Black Lives Matter trying to instigate incidents of Asian violence that can be used by the media to say, oh, see, they're getting beat up. Must be white supremacy, white domestic terrorists that are attacking Asians, um, even though it's not. It's activist groups on the left. 
while all of that's going on, things such as finding out that the Wuhan lab in China may have been talking about weaponizing something like the coronavirus going back to 2016. Of course, you know, Dr. Anthony Fauci has interest in the lab that the Wuhan <laughs> virology uh, tests were being done in. Um, and at the same time that we have oil pipelines being hacked <laughs> and having their systems held hostage through ransomware, you would think that the FBI and the DOJ and the NSA and the CIA and every intelligence agency, every alphabet soup named bureaucracy that handles justice in America would be focused on those kind of incidents. But no, we're busy looking at domestic terrorists, white supremacist domestic terrorists, you know, like the ones who committed insurrection, because that's what's going to happen. They're going to use all of these Asian violent incidents to smear people who aren't even engaging in these things. And then what they do to them is simply amazing. So according to PJ Media, CNN, the Biden administration wants to outsource spying on Americans to private firms to bypass the Fourth Amendment. Eh, don't worry about that Constitution. Anytime you hear the left say, oh, they want to ruin democracy. They want to destroy democracy on the right. It's actually them that are circumventing constitutional provisions. The Biden administration is considering using private firms to track the online activity of American citizens in order to get around the Fourth Amendment and other laws that protect Americans from unreasonable searches and seizures and surveillance. The report says that the Biden administration wants to monitor extremist chatter by Americans online, but can't do so without a warrant and thinks private firms can get around the legal restrictions. Well, they've been using businesses to get around any sort of legal restrictions to vaccination passports and critical race theory. So why not use private firms to circumvent your fourth and fifth amendment rights? I mean, Due process, ah, illegal search and seizure, phooey. Let's just get a private firm to do it. Going back to the PJ Media piece, federal authorities can, browse, can only browse through unprotected information on social media sites like Twitter and Facebook and other open platforms, according to CNN. Quote, the plan being discussed inside DHS, according to multiple sources, would, in, fact, in effect, allow the department to circumvent restrictions the U.S. government has to surveil American citizens. A source familiar with the effort said it is not about de um, decrypting data, but rather using outside entities who can legally access these private groups to gather large amounts of information that could help DHS identify key narratives as they emerge. Oh, those key narratives like QAnon and what have you. You know, those key narratives like key narratives such as, uh, you know, the NSA. It must be, they must spy on that band of QAnon Proud Boy Oath Keeper Boogaloo guys. Because even though they rely on some sort of cryptic message about some weird insider mission, they seem to be tech-savvy enough to use their white supremacy to commit domestic terrorism on oil infrastructure. I'm so glad the FBI, the NSA, the CIA, the DOJ is laser-focused on grannies with Yeti mugs of Chardonnay waving Gadsden flags to be waved into the Capitol by police to be put in a single-file line through the Capitol so that they can have a little tour of the Capitol 
and pretend that they're in some sort of insurrection protest, although one of them ends up getting shot and killed point blank by a Capitol Police officer who never gets his identity put out there, although I think his name is David Bailey. I I can't remember off the top of my head. But we're going to act like somebody, an officer, was hit in the head with a fire extinguisher and killed because of the insurrection, although that never happened. But we're going to have to toss all these people into solitary confinement and beat them until they fess up. Maybe we ought to listen to them online using outside agencies. Huh. Maybe we ought to still use the FISA court spine, the FISA spine. Yep, it continued under Biden. And just like Obama, they don't care that the Foreign Intelligence Security Act was made supposedly it's like the Patriot Act. It was all built on the premise of security, national security, but we're going to weaponize it against the citizenry. You know, they spied on Donald Trump. They got a warrant over fraudulent Russia collusion and the dossier where, you know, Donald Trump, a man with basically OCD, which is why he was bought into the coronavirus and the hand sanitizer and the, all that stuff. The reason why he gave up his administration to Dr. Fauci was because he has OCD, but we're supposed to pretend that Russian hookers were, you know, giving him golden showers and that that document was legitimate, legitimate enough for a new Department of of Justice uh, individual who we're going to talk about in a minute to take that as gospel and allow Robert Mueller to run an investigation for the majority of his uh, presidency on fraudulent pretenses We're going to be able to use that FISA system and abuse it on everybody now. From the Washington Post, federal court approved FBI's continued use of warrantless surveillance power despite repeated violations of privacy rules. A secretive federal court approved the FBI's use of powerful warrantless surveillance authority in November despite finding that the Bureau had repeatedly violated rules meant to protect American privacy. James E. Bossbag, the court's presiding judge, said the violations occurred before the FBI improved its querying system and training program and that the coronavirus pandemic has limited the government's ability to monitor compliance. Quote, while the court is concerned about the apparent widespread violations, it lacks sufficient information at this time to assess the adequacy of the FBI system changes and training, he said. Therefore, he wrote, the court is willing again to conclude that the FBI's procedures meet statutory and Fourth Amendment requirements, except, of course, if you outsource that to private businesses. Are we, act- are we supposed to act like there's no problem with this? Are we supposed to act like that this is A-OK? But, you know, the Biden administration given carte blanche to do all of these things. And then those individuals that they decided to arrest and throw into jail over the Capitol insurrection because they are pro-American. They just wanted to march and and have concerns about the legitimacy of an election that was uh, certain states shut down the counting in the middle of the night, sent their people home with magical trucks rolling in with new ballots, with no down ballot uh, consequences to the election. We're supposed to act like all of this stuff that all the crazy anomalies that happen, you know, water main breaks in Atlanta, Georgia and runoffs that happen to have the same counting issues again, where they sent everybody home during the Senate runoff races in the middle of the night only to have the same results happen. All of that's supposed to be looked at as, eh, it's no big deal. 
It was just, you know, you should just accept it and, and never really care about it. We're going to march on, on the D.C. lawn, the, the Mall of America, and because uh, some QAnon people, which we have found out it's Black Lives Matter, Antifa people, attacked the Capitol and opened the door for everybody to be ushered in, we're supposed to just accept that. And then if they're arrested for attending the event, which is a, an act of constitutional peaceful protest petitioning of the government, lawful assembly, we're supposed to put these people in jail with no due process and then torture them. Why not? From Just the News, D.C. jail treatment of Capitol riot defendants draws bipartisan outrage. A short drive from the U.S. Capitol, 1,500 inmates are stuck in their jail cells 22 hours a day. Until last month, it was 23, and they were also barred from going outside. A smaller group of inmates may have it even worse. Those awaiting for trial for alleged crimes in the January 6th Capitol riot, they've been placed in restrictive housing, a maximum security designation. The plight of nearby inmates has received surprisingly little attention on Capitol Hill for the better part of the year since the District of Columbia Department of Corrections issued its medical stay-in-place policies for COVID-19 mitigation. That only changed in April, and it flipped the partisan script. Representative James Comer, ranking Republican on the House Oversight Committee, demanded better treatment for the inmate population at large, while Democrat Senators Elizabeth Warren and Dick Durbin spoke up for the inmates accused of insurrection to keep Donald Trump in office. The issue could complicate the D.C.'s bid for statehood, D.C.'s house is not in order, and the solution is not even to grant it more authority through statehood, Comer said. But they're essentially torturing inmates, according to Clay Higgins, representative from Louisiana. He said, um, for more than a year, th that is ultimately a violation of the Eighth Amendment. Is this what we can expect from a D.C. state? Comer requested, but has not received a briefing with Mayor Bowser about jail conditions, prompting him to demand oversight chair Carolyn Maloney to hold an emergency hearing on the gross abuses that are happening right at our doorstep. The January 6th defendants are being held in pretrial de detention on charges ranging knowing from knowing, knowingly entering or remaining in restricting grounds without authority to conspire, assault and obstruction of an official proceeding because they were recounting the votes and or even uh, certifying the votes when all of this happened. But there's talk of them being put in solitary confinement, being beaten. It's amazing. This is the United States again. And we're supposed to act like this is A-OK. -okay. You know, if the right side uh, hits on interns and does crack and makes money off of China, it's no big deal. But man, if you want to petition your government... You are going to be canned. And then, to top it all off, we get a new individual brought in for the DOJ's National Security Division, Susan Hennessy. She put the millennial Russian gate uh, conspirator, who is a, is a PP tape truther, according to Jack Posebic, as the National Security Division head. I mean... Susan Hennessy, this from Glenn Greenwald, was one of the most deranged Russian gate conspiracists of the last four years. She wisely deleted all of her tweets at some point before this announcement, but you can still 
read her attempt to elevate the steel dossier at her website. It was Lawfare Blog. Now, apparently she had something to do with the NSA under Obama, and then she ended up going and doing her Lawfare Blog, and now she is back in. Listen to her talk about the dossier and the fact that she got this dossier in advance and what she thought of it. Well, Susan Hensley, let's let's talk about your organization, Lawfare. You had a copy of this, what, several weeks ago, and you started looking into it, decided not to put it out, but you did look into it. <clears throat> How did you go about figuring out or trying to figure out what's real and what isn't here? Right, so the document was shared with us um, uh, to uh, uh, so that we could provide some professional input as to whether or not it was credible. Um, uh, so we uh, were satisfied that the relevant um, government uh, entities were aware of the document. Um, uh, and then, like everybody else, um, uh, we uh, attempted to talk to people in, in various communities to see whether or not uh, the allegations seemed credible to them. Um, uh, I think at, at the point that we're at now, um, it's really not about uh, uh, our organization or anyone else uh, verifying the specific facts. Um, the FBI is conducting an investigation. Right. Um, uh, we will expect there are very specific allegations in this document. Um, those allegations can either be proven true or, or proven false. Um, and so we should expect some answers uh, uh, that provide some additional clarity. One important note is just because a single fact in the document is true, it doesn't mean the rest of the document is true. And just because a single fact in the document is false, that doesn't mean the rest of the document the is end. false. Listen, uh, 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 sound like Obama. It's always stuttering over her BS. And it's not as though, uh, you know, this document, like we said earlier, used to smear a private citizen who was running for public office, the highest office in the land, someone who has OCD worse than Howie Mandel, but we're supposed to believe that Russian hookers were just pissing all over him. Um, you know, we're not allowed to disqualify that if there's some falsehoods that arise. You're supposed to take it as gospel and pretend it's a legitimate document regardless of any sort of questionable aspects to it. You know, she goes on and on about how she was talking about, um, what'd she say? She's talking about John Durham's investigation on the Spygate issue. She said, Durham has made it abundantly clear that in a year and a half, he hasn't come up with anything. I guess the kind of, this kind of partisan silliness has become characteristic of Barr's legacy, but unclear to me why Durham would still want to go along with it. She said, talking about the top secret Justice Department watchdog won't let witnesses written feedback on the long-awaited, still-classified report about the FBI's Russia probe. She said, this is extremely irregular. There are growing signs that there are serious problems with the IG report and questions as to whether or not this is designed to be an honest accounting of the views of the IG or political document driven by Barr's conspiracy theories. You know, she is all about the fake dossier that's been proven fraudulent and the Mueller investigation that fall, fell flat on its face. But now this is who is running the DOJ or a part of running the DOJ. So you have an administration where they implanted the, the presiding executive, Joe Biden. They just put him into office. We wrecked our economy. We wrecked our border. We wrecked uh, our energy independence. Now we're loading up all of these agencies to spy on people who are patriots, people who love this country, and we are then going to spy on them under the pretense of Asian violence they have nothing to do with. Because what they're doing is they're setting the tone that if you decide to push back against the crap sandwich you're being given by this faux administration, this soft coup, 
then you are an enemy of the state and should be beaten and thrown into solitary confinement. And that's what they're going to do to patriots all across the country. I'm Adrian Slade. Thanks for tuning in. Check out the podcast, iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play, Spreaker. Tune in, iHeart. Check out the blog, adriansladeshow.com. Get the free Roku channel in your streaming store. Search Adrian Slade Show. Donate. Go to anchor.fm slash adrianslade slash support. Or you can leave a message to be on the show, 1-929-GO-GO-USA. That's 1-929-GO-GO-USA. Leave a message and you'll be on the show. God bless. We'll see you next time.